is Tennessee Talks with United States Congressman Tim Burchett. Hello, I'm Congressman Tim Burchett, and welcome back to Tennessee Talks. I'm happy to share with you this, our first episode of the Tennessee Talks podcast, the first video, excuse me. This show will continue to be available where you listen to your podcast, but you can now watch the show um, if that's what you prefer. New episodes can be watched on YouTube by visiting my official channel, which can be found by searching Congressman Tim Burchett. Please subscribe to our channel and thank you all for listening. Our country continues to battle the opioid epidemic. Wherever opioid addiction goes, devastation seems to follow. Addiction causes folks to lose their jobs, lose money, lose their homes, lose their families, and most importantly and unfortunately, to lose their lives. We need to get this situation under control. In Congress, I introduced legislation that would give international fentanyl smugglers life sentences for their role in fueling the opioid epidemic here in America. Until we figure this out, it's important that the that those who are struggling with addiction have access to resources that can help them get back on their feet. I'm glad to be joined on today's show by someone who is in the middle of the fight against addiction. It's an honor to be joined by my good buddy, Cornerstone Recovery Executive Director Webster Bailey. Webster, I can't thank you enough for being here. And um, let me ask you something, brother. Why did you enter this line of work? Well, uh, honestly, the the short version is because of my own struggles with substance abuse. Um, as a teenager, I started using, you know, drugs and alcohol early, kind of in the late middle school, early high school years, and and uh, experienced a lot of struggle throughout uh, all of high school and then college at University of Tennessee, continued to struggle, and then um, even into professional life after that. And so at about 28 years old, I sort of found my myself in a pretty um, – difficult spot where I was hopelessly addicted to pain pills. I couldn't, I couldn't go four hours or, or more than four hours without using, um, because I'd get sick. And, um, and so sort of found my own recovery at about 28 years old. And then, um, honestly started volunteering in at Cornerstone in the detox lounge. Cause I, you know what, I was uh, working with some folks who told me, Hey, if you want to, if you want to keep this thing that you found in sobriety, you're going to have to start helping other people. And so I would come in and make coffee for a bunch of guys who were sitting around, you know, going through withdrawals in a medical detox unit. And, um, and I fell in love with it, man. I fell in love with the, with the guys and the, the recovery process. And, um, and I just sort of never left. And so, uh, so my, my first role at Cornerstone was as, was as a volunteer. And then it was as a counselor and sort of worked around and have done about every job in the place. And, um, and I'm still here, you know, 15 years later. So, right. Yeah. You know, it's funny you say that I have mutual, we have some mutual friends and they, they tell me that, that that is um, to continue their sobriety and to be feel like they should be successful. But that's what they do. They, yeah, there's like this old, it's this old spiritual axiom that says, you know, to keep what you've got, you got to give it away. And that's yeah. what this whole thing's about. Very cool. Very cool. Well, what are some of the strategies that y'all have at Cornerstone of Recovery that um, you use to help folks with substance abuse? Well, there, there's a lot of strategies. I mean, to try to sum it up in a 
you know, for the purposes of this podcast is, you know, what we use, what we call a bio, psycho, social, spiritual model of treatment. So those are four main areas of a person's life, the biological side, which is sort of the medical side of what's going on, the psychological side, which is what's going on between our ears, uh, the, the social side, which is what we do with our time and who we spend our time with. Um, and then you've got the spiritual side. And so we, we really go at it at all four of those areas of somebody's life. And they're dependent on the situation and the individual. There's a number of different things that we do, but we've got to target all four of those things. So just for example, uh, a lot of folks come into treatment because they started taking medication that was prescribed by a physician for a legitimate yeah. purpose, right? Five years later, the injuries healed itself or, or but, but for whatever reason, they're still taking the medication. We've got, we've got to help them through that medical process, right? Or, or help them address the medical problem if it's not been fully rectified. Um, so we're going to do that. And then dealing with all of the emotional fallout, because, you know, this illness, um, it carries a lot of shame, guilt, remorse, hurt, anger, resentment, not just in the individual that we're treating as our patient, but in the family, friends, loved ones, co-workers, et cetera. So the whole world that that individual is in is touched and affected by addiction. So we've got to dig into all that emotional uh, turmoil, if you will. Um, and then the social piece is we've got to help that individual look at their relationships and evaluate um, which relationships do I need to hang on to and which do I need to cut loose? And we've got to make some hard choices. And, um, and then the spiritual side um, is just what it sounds like is we've got to help that individual identify something, a higher power, something greater than themselves that they can lean on, build relationship with, learn to trust, um, et cetera. So those are kind of the four key areas that we're, that we're going at within an individual. Do you have a different strategy for somebody who's um, maybe trying to escape the bottle versus the opioids? A little bit, yes. I mean, surprise. This may surprise you and others who hear it, but you know, we when someone walks in our door, I I do care about what their drugs of choice are and what they you know what they've been using to get here. That's going to help us from the medical side, right? You know, safely help that person, you know. Uh, detox, you know, detoxify their body from it. But when you get into the treatment aspect, you know, alcoholism um, it looks a lot like opioid addiction and everything else when it, when it comes to the treatment side. Now, where there are some differences are what people have to do to get their drug. And so there's some lifestyle changes and we have to address those, those differences in lifestyle or um, the rituals that come with it. So for an alcoholic, it's as simple as stopping by the gas station or the bar on the way home or whatever. Whereas for a drug addict who's having to buy stuff illegally, it's a little bit more involved and you've got to, you've got to have some different social relationships. You've got to, you have some different behaviors. Um, so that behavioral, the addressing of that behavioral stuff is a little different, but um but ultimately, the pain caused by addiction and the pain caused by alcoholism is much the same. And the, and the turmoil that's created within a family unit is going to be the same a lot of times. And so there are some minute differences. But ultimately, we're the way I look at it is, is anybody that's struggling uh, is struggling with the disease of addiction. 
right? Maybe their drug of choice is alcohol. Maybe it's cocaine. Maybe it's opiates. Maybe it's methamphetamine. Um, but our common foe is the disease of addiction. That is the illness. What, what do you think is the biggest challenge when somebody's trying to, to break the cycle or just get off of, off of opioids that, you know, helps them to recover? Is there, is there a, is there a single biggest challenge? Is it the individual person or is it, is it something well, that society's I, I, norms? What we're dealing with is human behavior change. And that's the most difficult thing to do on the planet. Um, you look at any chronic disease, whether it's addiction or diabetes or, or you know, you fill in the blank and, it, and the recovery from any one of those illnesses is going to be behavior change. And it's all about changing what we do, whether it's diet and exercise or whether it's changing our, our you know, our people, places, things, you know, all of those kind of, you know, what we do with our time. And so what, what I was told early on in my own recovery process was, Hey man, this is really simple and you just have to change one thing. And that is everything, (laughs) which was kind of mind blowing, right. And, and terrifying all the same, but, um, change and, and, dealing with the fear that comes with change, right? Because, you know, even though I was miserable and most drug addicts are miserable in the position and the way that we're living, it's a familiar pain, right? And it's a pain that we've learned to live with and that, and that I've learned to cope with. Um, I will tell you this, that recovery is much less difficult than living in active addiction. And, and that's contrary to what a lot of people think. You know, when I, I give talks a lot, and people will, I'll say, you know, tell me what y'all think about, you know, what what is recovery? And, and what I hear all the time from the audience is it's a daily struggle. It's a this, you know, it's it's hard. It's a fight. And I tell them it's actually not. For me, if I fight it, I'm doomed to failure. I've had to learn how to surrender. You know, the way I look at it is, my disease and my addiction and the drugs and alcohol I was using, that was like being in the ring with Mike Tyson. And they whipped me left and right, up and down, all over, knocked me down, had me up against the ropes. And at some point, I realized I could step out of the ring. I didn't have to fight anymore. I could live, I can live through this if I just get out of the ring. To imply that my recovery is a struggle or a fight implies me trying to dance in the ring with it again. And I, I choose not to, I'm, I'm outside the ring. I don't, I don't, I don't have to get in and fight anymore. I gotcha. Well, let's, let's change gears a little bit. All right. Uh, fentanyl seems to be the hot button now. Like, you know, I remember when it was heroin, then brown tar heroin, and then now fentanyl. Um, and what we're seeing a lot is that it's being cut, you know, it's put into cocaine or pills. Mm-hmm. I, I sponsored this legislation. I, got a call from a man in North Carolina and his kid was on some uh, antidepressants and, and he went out on the street and bought the antidepressants they needed to get and uh, his, the pusher or whatever gave him and they were cut with fentanyl. And when they found him dead, the actual fentanyl pill was still in his mouth. It was just that strong. And, um, and I'm wondering if you're seeing that in our, in our community. And is that something that, that, um, because I, you know, I hear nationwide really the terrible impact of fentanyl, where it's yeah. going it's just the incredible. And you, you've heard the stories. You could what you could fit on a match head, you could kill ten people with, and that kind of thing. And and I, and I believe it. I've talked to the officers, but go ahead. Yeah. So well, 
interestingly enough, I was just uh, at, so here at Cornerstone on campus, I was walking across campus to get to my office to do this um, podcast with you. And there was a guy that I've seen the last couple of weeks. He's been here and I saw him sitting outside on a bench and he looked down and I walked over I walked past him. I said, what's going on, man? How you doing? And he looked at me and he sort of shook his head. This is, this is 20 minutes ago. Um, I said, what's up? He goes, my buddy just died. I just found out. I said, oh man, that's terrible. And I sat down with him for a second and I said, well, you know, what happened? I'm, he's like, he said, overdose. I said, um, all right, tell me more, you know? And, and I, and I asked him, I said, you know, you think, is this, is it, I said, man, when I got clean, so, you know, using oxys and all this stuff, I mean, there were some overdoses, but it was much different, you know, 15 years ago. Sure. Um, I said, do you think this is all this, the fentanyl stuff? And he said, yeah. And, uh, and I, and, and I said to him, I said, is fentanyl everywhere like they talk about on the news? I said, you'd think I'd know that working in a drug treatment center, but you got to remember in a treatment center, we're not, we're not worried too much about where you get your drugs and how you do it. We're talking about recovery stuff. And, um, and what he told me was, he said, pretty much anymore. That's, that's all it, that's all any of it is. Um, there's fentanyl mixed in some way. He said, um, he said, it's in everything. He said, very few people actually can get, can even get legitimate prescriptions for Oxycontin, Percocet, those things. He said, there's few prescriptions written for those anymore. So, everything is pressed. Everything is, you know, got some sort of mixture with fentanyl. Um, and that's, and that's what he was buying. And that's what this guy knew he was buying was fentanyl was a fentanyl product. Yeah. It's a bootleg pill. Basically you say pressed. So people understand it's just a, it's a pill. Like they think taking Valium or whatever. I don't know if that don't get Yeah. It's just made, it's, it's pressed together like a pill is compressed and you know, it's, these people are, you know, whether it's in Mexico or, you know, where, I mean, they're doing them in the U S they're doing them all over. So it's just a, it's a bootleg version of it's made to look like the, the real McCoy. Right. So, right. And they yeah. don't know any different. And these, that's yeah, well, he, well, well, according to this guy who uses, he says, we all know that most of what we get now is, is pressed. It's not, you know, it's not real, but that's just what you, come to live with is that's that's the daily danger of it is you you don't know what the next one is going to bring you so you know i, I visited your old facility well i think it was um over in lewisville maybe uh last february i think and i know y'all started taking track here and you announced your new your new uh thing and for our viewers and listeners track here is the health care that's that our veterans are under where in fact my my little girl my wife is a widow and, and I adopted her little girl and um, her dad was a Navy man and she's actually covered under TRICARE. Okay. Um, so, um, and I know you all are, are taking it on as uh, for your recovery at Cornerstone. Um, is that, is that system actually working? Have y'all had any success with that? And, um, and, you know, treating veterans since, since that's come into play. Sure. Oh yeah, for sure. So, you know, we've, we've worked with veterans for a long time, um, but primarily through their, other insurance so you know you take somebody who was a veteran and you say desert storm or shield or you know any of the conflicts yeah. or you know just a veteran of any sort you know and they go on they come back uh from service and they go on to work at whether it's home depot or american airlines or whatever right and then they sort of become part of that system um 
and so we've we've worked with veterans for for a long time, but the Tricare piece is what's new. And so, um, getting in network with Tricare and being able to take active, you know, active duty, current service men and women has been has been a big lift for us, just um, for our veterans program. So we've got some programming on campus that's specifically geared towards veterans. You know, not every veteran out there has seen conflict and has not necessarily has trauma, but many of them do. And so, so we've been able to kind of, to really dig into that and, and just sort of do a much more, a much better, more intentional job with it. So yeah, we're, we're loving it, you know, doing, doing really well with it. Thank you. Well, uh, final question here is let me, uh, what can we do in Congress that can be helping you? You know, I, locking up the drug dealers. I don't know how it's that, that helps because it just goes to the next one. Um, you know, I don't know how you change People, you know, you're, people from you always think of the the junkie or so to speak as some guy that or gal that's you know grew up on the streets kind of thing. But you know, most of my buddies are in in treatment or been in treatment or in twelve step or whatever. Or grew up like you and I did. We, right. you know, we had meal on the table at night at mom and dad kind of thing. And and so um, I'm wondering what in Congress you think we can do. Well, you know, so I. I try to keep this pretty simple and this is really a supply and demand issue, right? When you're, when you're going after the dealers and you're going after the the border crisis where so much, uh, so many drugs are flowing over the border, you know, I think that's addressing the supply side of things, right? That's trying to minimize supply. But we also know, like you said, that we're, we're dealing, we're in the middle of a game of whack-a-mole, the old video arcade game where you, you bop one head and another one pops up and you just chase them around and, and we can do that, you know, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I think it's an important thing to try and stomp it out. But I also know that I think the most effective thing we can do is, is try to figure out ways to address the demand. Right. I think there's, I think there's at a community level, I think there's some things that we can do uh, from a community level to, to, to reduce demand. Right. And I think it, 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 starts with developing a curriculum for school for school age kids you know there it'll be controversial right i mean how how young is too young to, to warn people or or, in, or educate people about the dangers of of drug addiction alcoholism those kind of things but beginning to educate folks and education alone won't do it it's got to be a multi a multi-pronged approach where we've got to get in we've got to we've got to teach families how to be families we i mean it gets back to the old core values of what american life looked like 100 years ago right i mean those are the things that we've got to work back towards and and uh we can do that on a community level um we've got a new initiative here in uh, knoxville that uh, i'm sure you're familiar with called the gateway community recovery center it's under construction right now and it's you know it's it's not going to necessarily, there is a prevention wing to what it's doing, but it's a, it's a, it's more or less a, a boys and girls club for people in recovery. So it's when, when folks, if we can, if we can help curve the relapse rate. So when people find the recovery rooms or treatment centers, if we can help those folks not fall back into addiction again, you know, to protect them or help them continue their sobriety, that's going to do a tremendous amount for our culture, for our society, for our city, for our communities. And, and so, you know, we're, we're trying to do that. Um, I, I would look at, you know, 
some of the things that a lot of people have fought really hard to take out of our schools probably need to be back in our schools, quite frankly, um, whether it's God, whether it's, you know, education about, you know, emotional health and well-being and, and you know, knowing that it's okay to not be okay for a minute, you know, and, yeah. you know, life is not a, fo- a Facebook post, life is not a TikTok, um, but learning how to, to live, um, in the present moment and all those kind of things. And I could talk about that forever, but you know, it's um, getting back to the basics of, of what American life has, has been about for a hundred years, you know? Well, I appreciate you saying that. We're going to have to wrap it up. I would say this, you know, I, I was pretty fortunate in life. I had two very, very cool God fearing parents. And um, I can remember I had some surgery one time and they, they put me on, I think it was morphine back then. And I remembered I went on it for a long time because of the surgery. It was really painful. And then um, they took me off on my birthday. And I remembered my Sunday school class was visiting that day, came to the hospital to visit me. And um, I was a young man, but uh, I think I was in college. And I was literally willing. I was about to climb the walls. And they took me off that morphine, not the pain, but just the mental. It was and, I, and then I realized, you know, that it's 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 very at that time, I guess I was in early stages of addiction um, because yeah. of the amount that they put me on and different people react differently. You know, and I had a while back, I had pneumonia and I was in intensive care. And then I got out, they gave me um, they gave me this big, big opioids. I forget which oxys, I guess they were. And I, I just wouldn't take them. I took Advil or aspirin because I knew that that, you know, there go out by the grace of God. I know yeah. that 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 was um, that that's that's the gateway. I'd seen too many of my buddies, and you know yeah. they were stronger willed and more educated and prettier than I was. That got got hooked up on that junk, and it's just so easy to happen. So I yeah, and I really thank you so sure. much. Sure. Okay, let me let me let me jump in and say this. So what you were feeling, just because I want to put some clarity around that. So what you were feeling was actually the beginnings of chemical dependency. And so chemical dependency and addiction are two different things, right? So the way I, the way, here's the way I explain it to in layman's terms is chemical dependency is when you develop that where your body has to have it, right? You've taken it regularly enough to where your body recognizes, hey, we're getting this chemical. We don't need to produce it anymore. We can shut that factory down. And then when you stop taking it, your body kind of goes haywire. And that's what you were describing. Addiction is, is, is when you use a chemical, have negative consequences associated with that use, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, and decide to do it again, right? Like when I drink, I get in the fights and I'm going to go out and drink again or whatever it is. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That insanity of it. That's the addiction piece. Whereas chemical dependency is, you know, like the situation you described or the situation, uh, take a, you know, a grandmother, right. Who's got takes hydrocodone every day for her back. Well, if grandma goes into, if she, if her prescription gets stopped or she can't get a refill, she's going to go into the same withdrawal that a heroin addict down under gay street bridge is going to go under because the body doesn't know the difference. It's the same. So that's the chemical dependency versus addiction piece. But, but anyway, I, I love talking about this stuff, man. I appreciate you having me on. Brother, I thank you, and I, I appreciate you coming on today and discussing this important work that y'all do over at Cornerstone. And and uh, it's not in my notes, but I would tell folks that are listening, if you, you need help, reach out to me or somebody, get old of Webster over at Cornerstone, and, and we'll try to hook you up and get you where you need to go. I, like I say, there go I with the grace of God. I have no judgment. Some of my 
my my best friends in the world have been there and and by the grace of god they're they're out and they're they're success stories so it it is possible and they're at the top of their field so thank you so much western webster and i wanted to thank y'all so much for joining me for this episode of tennessee talks i'm congressman tim burchett thank y'all Thanks for listening to this episode of Tennessee Talks. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Keep up with Congressman Burchett by following at Rep Tim Burchett on Twitter and Instagram and at Congressman Tim Burchett on Facebook and YouTube.